As you remain standing, I'm going to read out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 13. I want to encourage you from this Sunday up until the Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, I want you to do everything in your power to be at every one of the services you can be, because we're starting a series on contagious hope, how to have contagious hope, and today's message shows us how by the anchoring it down with a thing called hope. For you to be contagious and spread it around, you first got to be anchored. You got to be anchored to the right thing. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, that which enters the presence behind the veil. For you and I to be anchored, we have to know it's in hope that we get anchored in so we can get past the pain to get to the very promises of Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're going to trust you to do what only you can do. Help us to be contagious, spreading hope all the places you bring us to and the places we get to go. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking and sit down. You are good looking. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I want you to know that when you are contagious, people at first want to know, can I get it? In other words, if you say, I'm contagious, they want to immediately know, am I going to get what you got? You ever see people walking in the airport or walking in a mall or something and they got those masks on? You ever see those? How many of you see people do that? How many of you stay away from people like that? Oh, am I the only one? If I see the mask, I go the other way. I just think to myself, they are contagious. I have to be careful because I don't want what they got. If they're wearing a mask, no bueno. I do not want to do that. And I think about our lives. We're going to be contagious one way or another. We're going to spread around our viruses, whether we realize it or not. We have to realize that we are to be anchored if we're going to spread the right things. To spread hope and to be a contagious spreader of hope, you have to be anchored in to this thing called hope. But how do you get to the place to have hope when you've been riddled with resentment? To have hope when you've come from a dysfunctional family. How many of you have friends that come from a dysfunctional family? Friends, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the friend. You're the friend. Yeah, you're the friend. If you have to look at the doom and gloom that comes off television or the latest platforms of news outlets, it would be easy to lose hope. All the fake news, all the things we're seeing unfold, it would be very easy to lose hope. You know, sooner or later, all of us will experience the pain and the deep frustration from a thing called life. You know, things go wrong. People will disappoint you. Plans fail. Problems mount. Pressures to perform at higher levels of success constantly increase. That's why I want to encourage you. You need to sign up for this conference, our first ever Elevate conference, this uh, coming Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Sign up for it, our last day to do it, because you need to, ha you need to learn how to elevate through the storms of life. When problems come, stress, the trials of life, things go wrong, and people will disappoint you. Plans will fail. Problems will mount. People that you once thought would be like a rock, they will cave like cheap decorations on an Easter Sunday service. I want you to know that in life, you're not born to lose. You're born to choose. And you have to anchor in this thing called hope. 
And there's so many people, they live on the, the edge of disaster, clinging by their fingernails, desperate and hoping for answers to problems that life brings their way in a world that is kind of ever so increasingly growing cynical and growing hopeless. We who believe, do I have any believers in the house today? I'm going to try this side over here. You look a little friendlier. Do I have any believers in the house today? Oh, they won. You're going to get a chance in a moment. But we who believe, we have an unshakable hope. We have a hope the Bible calls steadfast and sure. We have a hope based on evidence and not wishful thinking. We have a hope based on Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why the Bible calls Jesus that blessed hope. Let's say that together. That blessed hope. Our hope is in the rock of ages. Our hope is in the word of the living God. Our hope can give you a new song in the jail at Philippi in the midnight hour, just like Paul and Silas. It can help you sing again. It can help you laugh again. It can help you love again. Our hope gives you strength in the coming storms. Because when the storm comes, you can have an anchor that will keep you safe because it holds. That anchor holds. Our hope looks at that coming storm and says the anchor will hold. Other ships have crashed against the rock, but the anchor of the righteous hold. Let the raging winds from the perfect storm rip the sail from the mast, but the anchor of the righteous hold. You may be in the storm, but the storm doesn't have to be in you. Our blessed hope, Jesus, remember, he'll keep you safe until that storm passes by. Why? He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith, and he will keep you safe. Remember when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and there was a raging storm that was about to take their life, and in the, in the darkest of the night, they thought they were going to die, but suddenly the hope of glory came in an unexpected way. He used the winds. He used the waves as a sidewalk. He came to them in an unexpected time. The Bible says it was in the third watch of the night, which would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. at an unexpected time. And he gave them peace and he said, be muzzled, calm down. I say to you, those of you that are in a storm, God Almighty, anchor yourself to hope. He will come to you in an unexpected way with unexpected, with unexpected supernatural power. And when he says to you, the storm is over, friend, it will be over and it will be over for Forever, for he is the master of the winds and the waves. When our hope is built on Jesus Christ and nothing more, nothing less than that, you can have anointing and power to go through the storms of life. When our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, then something begins to happen. Hope sees the invisible. Hope feels the intangible. Hope starts to achieve the impossible. Hope is faith putting its hand out in the dark with the absolute confidence that the God that we serve is the God of all hope. And he will not fail us in the storms of life. Our hope looks at a coming crisis and it shouts the words of the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. Who backs that up? God Almighty backs that up, and he wants you to understand you have a future and a hope because you've anchored to God Almighty. Can you give him praise if you believe that today? That's why this 
scripture is so amazing. This hope that we have, it's an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, that which enters within the veil. What does that mean? That which enters within the veil. The Hebrew author, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, he's talking about the tabernacle. When the high priest would go in for the atonement of sin of Israel for the year and to atone them of their sin, he would go past the outer courts. He would go into the courtyard. He would go past then to the, to the, the courts and into the Holy of Holies, passing the veil into the where the presence of God was, where the blue flame was, where God himself resided. He would go past that place. No other could go except for the high priest. And that's what God is saying here. You and I, when we're anchored to hope, we can go past the things of others where they can't go. We can go because we've anchored our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the God that we serve is the God of all hope. Can you be brave enough? Can you be strong enough? Can you let loose all your fears and sus suspicions today? How many of you have the gift of suspicion. Men, if you don't, your wife does. I promise you. Who's that? Who's that woman? Who's that? Who's that lady? Oh, you've got to turn loose those follies and those fears and anchor in. So what is hope? Because we're talking about something that many people know the word, but they don't really know what it means. So what is hope? Because anytime, listen, anytime you begin to pursue something, you really should know exactly what it is you are pursuing. So what is hope? Let me talk to you this morning a little time about what hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. We all have wishes for ourselves and for other people and for the future. Those wishes are kind of our perceptions of what we think would be best for us, what we think would be best for our future, what we think would be best for our families. But I can assure you it's far more than that. Many people look at the Bible kind of like a wish book. They look at it as like wishing upon a star. Remember that old 70 song? I'm wishing upon a star to follow where you are. Wishing on a dream. Shows you what era I live in. I still live there. But it's, the, the Bible is not a wish book. Wishing comes from somewhere, though. You need to know this. Wishing comes from our emotions. What we see, what we hear, what we think, what we touch, what we smell. And if it comes from our emotions, what we see, think, touch, hear, and smell, it stems from our flesh. It comes from our flesh, so it comes out in our emotions, what we see, what we think, what we touch, what we, what we smell. But when we have hope, our hope comes from God, and our hope has to then come from the Word of God. That's why Psalms 19, verse 114 says, I hope in your word. Let's say it together. I hope in your word. Why? Because the Word of God is alive. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the only book on the planet where you read it, it starts to read you. It starts to talk back at you and starts to read you. It's greater than any other books. How great is it, Joey, than other books? As the mighty ocean is greater than a dripping faucet? 
It's greater than any other books as the blazing sun at high noon is greater than a single glowing candle. It's greater than other books as the rocky mountains are greater than a single grain of sand upon the beach. This book is meat for men. This book is milk for children. This book is honey that comes out of the rock. This book has something for everyone. This book tells us who Jesus is, who he was, and what he will do. It can give you life. It can give you hope. It can give you freedom. You really need to know what's found in this book. So you're not drinking the Kool-Aid and get all scared. Can somebody give God praise if they're thankful for his word? So you got to have hope in God. That's what Jesus said in the book of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. And verse 12 said that word dwelled among us. And we beheld the glory of that word, which was Jesus. That's important to know. So our hope is not in wishful thinking. Our hope comes from God. It comes from the word of God. And listen, our hope is not yearning. We often use the word hope to express yearning. To express like, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. When in fact we're yearning. Yearning is nothing more than an intense form of wishing. Listen closely. Because yearning will do something. It will set you up for disappointment. When you start wishing and you start yearning, you start to get disappointed, Jack. It's like some of you when you play the lottery. Isn't it disappointing when you get nothing? That's why you ought not play. Unless you win. <laughs> Some of you get that on the drive home. It's an oxymoron. Because you're not going to do what I tell you. That means you're going to keep playing. Then if you win, I'm going to say, I told you so. And then I'm going to say, tithe, tithe, tithe. (laughs) Oh, you don't understand my truth. But you'll get it someday. But yearning is nothing more than an intense form of wishing. It sets us up for disappointment. How many people do you know, and we've done it ourselves, we waste time, we waste energy, yearning, trying to get something into existence, but many times really what it is, it's a substitute for prayer. It's a substitute for not opening up the Bible or making God's house a priority and finding the answers in the preaching of the word, rightly dividing that word. How many of you know if you can rightly divide the word, you can wrongly divide the word? And there are a lot of people that go to certain places and the man or the woman of God wrongly divides the word. And there's something important about it because it leaves you wishing and it leaves you yearning. Yearning is not a fruit of the spirit. Hope in God is far more than wishing. It's far more than yearning. So what is hope? It tells us in the scriptures. Hebrews 11.1, the apostle tells us, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. What is faith? Faith will always start out before you ever know how it's going to turn out. And faith is responding to something. Faith is simply responding to this fact, God loves me. When I realize that I'm loved of God, I respond with faith and I receive that love. But religion says you have to work for that love. You have to do, do, do to get, get, get. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, you have to receive my love. That's what faith is all about, responding to this fact. God's for me, he's not against me, and he loves me. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things hoped for, excuse me, and the evidence of things not seen. So get a hold of those two words this morning, substance and evidence. Let's say them together, substance and evidence. Substance is what God has done in the past. Evidence is what God has done through his word. So my hope is not built on rabbit's foot faith, wishing or yearning. 
Rabbit's foot faith didn't do the rabbit any good. It ain't going to do you any good. My hope is God is not rabbit's foot faith. It's not wishing. It's not yearning. And substance is what God has done in its word. So that simply means if, if you have a verse in the Bible that you find that speaks to your heart of the current facts of life that you're going through, the things you're believing God for, you can hang your hat on it like my daddy would say. Hang your hat on that promise and you can believe God through the storm of life. Anchor in. That's why we have a hope that's steadfast and sure. We have hope never ending and it will always bring satisfaction. My hope is in anchoring in in the rock which is the word of the living God. I have hope that's anchored. That's why I'm today telling you I don't hope God answers prayer. I know God answers prayer. I believe it. Because of what God has done in his evidence. Moses prayed and the Red Sea departed and two million Hebrew slaves walked across dry shod, bound for the promised land. Daniel, we hear about him praying. And the Bible says the mouth of those lions that had been starved for days were muzzled. They could not open because of one righteous man prayed. And the men that threw Daniel into the fire, uh, into the lion's den, they were eaten alive. Not even a bone was left. I'm telling you, you should never pick on a person who knows how to pray they will get you will get eaten up jack you pick on somebody who knows how to pray i think about elijah he prayed and god sent cloven tongues of fire off that mountain and consumed the sacrifice and baal worship was forever crushed in the nation of israel prayer is not getting us to do uh, prayer is not simply how i would state this is prayer is not getting us ready to, are getting God ready for us to do our own will. So in other words, prayer is not saying, God, I want you, I'm going to pray because I want, I want you to fall into my will. I want you to fall into this guy I want to marry and this girl I want to marry. And I want you to fall in God with this petition that I'm praying for. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not getting God to do your will. Prayer gets you ready to do the Father's will. There's a world of difference. Some of you need to stop praying these little milly mouth wimpy prayers and start speaking bold prayers. Start proclaiming great things that you're believing God for. Prayer is always first choice, never last chance. If you want power, you got to learn to pray. And prayer is simply talking to God. It's talking to the Lord. I have people ask me often, Joey, how much do you pray? I say, I pray throughout the day. I don't just pray one specific time like religious people do. They, they pray three times a day. Some religions pray five times a day. The scriptures tell us pray without ceasing. That means when I get up in the morning, I thank the Lord. Lord, I thank you that I'm handsome. Thank you, Lord, that it's going to be a great day. You know, I start with encouraging myself because some of you don't. So I start with encouraging myself. And I say, Lord, thank you. It's going to be a great day. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what comes against me, you're going to already fight the battle. You're making a way. I thank you, Lord, that Jennifer's getting beautiful and more beautiful each and every day. And look what happens. God answers prayer. But I want you to know when you live a lifestyle of prayer, it's just a culture that you start to inhabit. That's what we're to be, people of prayer, not people of, of religious ceremony. It's people of prayer. That's why you hear that statement, some prayer, some power, more prayer, more power, much prayer, much power. If you want to move the hand of God that rocks the world, then be a person that just throughout the day talks to God, thanks him for his goodness. That's why I don't hope God heals. I know God heals. And if you're in this room and you're sick in your body, there's a doctor in the house, and his name is Jesus Christ. He can heal you. He can transform you. There is no distance in prayer. 
And I'm here today to tell you, I don't hope there's a better world tomorrow because of some current administration or a future administration. I believe there's a better world tomorrow because Jesus Christ got out of the grave and he said, because I live, you shall live also based on evidence. Evidence in what, Joey? The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the evidence, sucker. The resurrection of our Lord, the coming King. He will come back with power and great glory. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the God that we serve, the God of hope, the God that's coming back soon with power and anointing. That's our Savior. I don't know about you, but that makes me hope-filled. Hallelujah. The God of hope. People have asked me throughout the years, Joey, when are you going to teach these end-time prophecies? In the summertime, I'm going to teach you about how to be a person that believes God at his word, to know the times which we're in, because these times are dark, but our world may be shaking, but God is not. He's getting ready to come back, and it's called the rapture of the church. Very soon, the trump of God shall sound, the voice of the archangel shall split the heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air to see the king in all his glory. Can you imagine going to a city where the roses never fade? Can you imagine going to the city where the death here, the blind see, where mansions have been created by the architect of the ages? You say, Joey, what's the next prophetic sign of the rapture of the church? Nothing. Before this service could be out today, we can be gone in the twinkling of an eye. The next thing you will experience as you leave this earth is to be with the Lord. It's called the rapture, a rocket it ride into glory and I've been on Delta, I've been on Southwest, I've taken LL, but it's the Rapture Airlines and I promise you it's the only way to fly. It's the only way to fly, Jack. Oh, I'm preaching myself happy. So I'm not hoping God answers prayer. I know he does. I'm not hoping God heals. I know he heals. I'm not hoping God's coming back again. I know he is because what his word says. I don't hope God delivers. I know God delivers. Here's how you know that God delivers because of evidence. The three Hebrew children were thrown into the fiery furnace. The fire was so hot, the scriptures say, that the men that threw them in died instantly because of the extreme heat. But suddenly and unexpectedly, they were not consumed by the fire at all except the bounds that held them on their hands and their feet. And suddenly and unexpectedly, the fourth man appeared into the fire looking like the Son of God because he was the Son of God. And they walked out that fire without the smell of smoke upon them. I say that to you today because when you get into the heat of things, God doesn't send someone. He shows up himself to prove to you that he is a deliverer. That's how we know, just in a caveat side note, that's how we know that the kingdom of God has come when deliverance is here. When you know God has poured his power and his kingdom out, when you become a believer, God's put his kingdom upon you. How do you know the kingdom of God has manifest, Joey, when he begins to answer prayer? How do you know the kingdom of God manifests, Joey, when he begins to heal your physical body, when he begins to heal your tormented mind? The kingdom of God has come upon you. Joey, how do you know when the kingdom of God comes upon me? When freedom comes upon you. That's how we know the kingdom of God is here. Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. On 
on earth as it is in heaven. Do we have the kingdom of God at our disposal? As a believer, you better believe it. Jesus says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose down on earth are we loosed in heaven. Most Christians are waiting for God to take the initiative. And God says, anchor in hope. Believe me at my word. I've got evidence. I've got substance. And I will give you freedom because you put your hope in me. In closing, I think it's so important to get this down in our spirits because the scriptures tell us no plagues come near thy dwelling. No plagues come near thy dwelling. Greater is he within you than he that's within the world. Why do I tell you that? Because I'm talking about promises that you can hook your life to that will be an anchor to your soul. That means he is our rock. He is our fortress in the day of battle. He is something called a deliverer, and nothing is impossible to them that believe. What God has done in the past, he can do today. He can do tomorrow. He can do a thousand years from now if the world tarries. He can do it right here, right now, because the God of our salvation is in the house. He's speaking through me right now. He spoke through the team as they worship. He moved through you as you expressed your worship. He lives inside of you, those of you who are believers. So I'm not wishing and I'm not yearning. This is the gospel of hope based on evidence and substance of the scriptures. That Jesus is alive and well because he lives on the inside. And nothing in the world, listen to me closely, nothing in the world could match what God has for you. Not this world, not the things of this world, not money, not relationships, not cars, clothes, and you knows. Some of you get that on the drive home. Nothing in this world could match what God has for you. There's nothing that takes the place of God's presence when he lives on the inside of you. Nothing will take that away. Oh, religion, you'll get downcast. You'll get discouraged because people will let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you, even to the ends of the earth. When they begin to walk out, he begins to walk in. He will never let you down. And I want you to realize that because he says something in the Scriptures in the New Testament. Cast not away the confidence we have in the Lord that he will never fail us. Don't let your confidence get eroded because you're not getting what you want. That God would never fail. Listen, he's never failed me, and he's never going to fail you. You have to anchor in hope so you can be contagious, not spreading religious nonsense, not spreading negativity, but being a continual spreader of hope. A contagious hope peddler is what you and I are called to be. And we are to be an expression of that hope, which is the anchor of our soul. You say, why is that important, Joe? You're just trying to get our hopes up. You can't have faith without hope. I'm always trying to get your hopes up because you are some sorry people. I look at some of you when you come in. It's your expressions. I see some of you in the community. You don't know I hear you, but I hear you. Some of you on social media, pathetic. If I have to see one more little emoji, tears. How are you feeling today? Sad. Come on, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Keep your expressions to God. Understand there are people, you are contagious. You want 
what others want, then be like them. You want what God wants? Be like him. Be like him. And God wants you to be just like him. I think we're not to cast away the confidence in we have in the Lord. He will never fail us. People will fail you. Ministries will fail you. Spouses will fail you. Children will let you down. Things will disappoint you. But to be anchored is important because if you're not anchored, you're going to drift when the problems come, when the storm comes, when fear comes. You will drift. All of us have a tendency to drift. And that's why I'm talking to you about being contagious with hope. Because do you know that in pagan cultures, hope is not considered a virtue at all. It's considered a deceiver and a betrayer. In Buddhism, hope is considered something you are to avoid and to shun. I had a woman tell me some years ago, she says, I'm a Buddhist and I'm also a Christian. I said, you can't be a Buddhist and a Christian. That's like saying I'm sort of pregnant. You either are or you're not. <laughs> Buddha doesn't give you hope. As a matter of fact, pagan cultures, they don't consider it a virtue at all. They consider it evil. They consider it something you should shun. In Buddha's writing, he says, quote, deceiver and a betrayer. Hmm, interesting. The same is true in the Middle East. When Jesus of Nazareth began his earthly ministry, the Greeks and the Romans did not waste the time and energy with such a silly concept as hope. They worshiped power, the Romans. The Greeks worshiped beauty. The Roman concept was get a large enough army and just wipe them off the face of the earth. And that's the hope that we have. The Greeks had another concept of hope, beauty, culture, intellect. Anyone that did not speak Greek in those days were considered barbar, where we get the word barbarian from. Then came Jesus, Christ from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's walking on the shores by the Sea of Galilee. Those of us that went a few weeks ago, we went on those shores of Galilee. And he said something amazing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things be added unto thee. His message, you'll have a great life when you put your hope in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what we do in the Western society, I've been guilty of it. Some of you are guilty of it. We compartmentalize it. God first, family, what my ministry is, because we're all called the ministry. My vocations, my, my fun stuff. But what you don't realize and what took me years to realize, it's God first, period. And everything flows out of that. My time with my wife, my time with my children, my time at studying his word, my time in the church. When I used to travel full time, I did that for 12 years. And what that meant is, for those of you that don't understand that, I got saved in 1997. And two weeks later after, I had no religious background, I had no religious upbringing, I was radically saved. I mean, I was saved. I wasn't partially saved, I got saved. And, and I got saved in 1997 and when I got gave my heart to Christ, I started traveling full time. And what that means is I trusted God that he would meet all of my needs and I, and I started going where the doors were opening. 
So anytime the doors would open, I'd come and speak, do school assemblies, do colleges, I'd do conventions, I'd do camps, I'd speak at different churches, different denominations, from Midianites to Catholic to non-denominational, a Presbyterian Assembly of God, a Nazarene. I spoke at every denomination and non-denomination, wherever the doors would open. And I always used to think, and this wasn't really taught to me, but this was because of the culture, I would say, this was embedded in me, not having a church upbringing, but just having certain things around, I would always think God first. And then when I got married, I said, then my, then my wife. And then, then my children, when I had children, and then the ministry. But you know what I found a while into that? I found myself thinking, man, I'm, I should be studying. I should, should be praying. I used to fast 24 hours before any public ministry I ever did. I did that for years until one day God says, why are you fasting? I said, well, because you told me to. And he says, I didn't tell you to fast all the time like that. I'm like, oh, God, please give me a hamburger then. Thank you. (laughs) So sick. It's kind of some of the things we set into motion, right? So I used to fast before every time I'd minister. And finally God says, why are you doing that? I'm like, but that thought you said. He says, I'll tell you when to do it. And so I had this kind of compartments going. Now, remember, I'm radically saved. I have no church background like some of you, but I'm, I'm like going, okay, it's God, it's my family, it's the ministry, and then it's my, you know, if I like cars and whatever else I like, working out, that stuff, you know, that's bound here. And God had to show me something that I hope you receive in your spirit. God had to show me personally, no, Joey, it's not compartments. It's you put me first. And when you are with your wife, it's worship. When you're with your children, it's worship. When you're having fun and doing things, it's worshiping me. It's all about putting him first. And it really helped me and freed me up because I was no longer compartmentalizing. You know, I used to travel all the time and then I became a pastor and those travels diminished because I have work to do here in the city. God called us to the city to start something new and every time I'd go on a vacation or a family outing, I would always say, oh, Jennifer, I need to go to my friend's church and preach. Why? Because that's just what I did. And you know what happened? My kids got a little older, and one time my oldest daughter, she said, well, Daddy, can't you just go to church with us? And I thought to myself, no, no, I got to preach. I get to preach. I get to go out and travel. I get to preach. And I'll never forget Jennifer saying, why don't you just come to church with us? And you know what I did? I sat in that service while we were out of town and I let the man of God and the woman of God of that service minister to me. Did I think I could do better? (laughs) Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I had to be careful with my critiques. (laughs) I'm like, shouldn't say that. Oh, no. Don't turn your back to the audience, sucker. Anyway, I was just, you know, I was just like, (laughs) taking notes of what not to do. Anyway, (laughs) I didn't do that. But what I'm telling you is, it really helped me because the Lord spoke to my heart in that particular season. And he said, when you spend time with your family and your children, it's more important than you spend time in the study of my word. And for me, that was like something broke off of me. Because you hear me preach and minister, you don't get down like this unless you spend a lot of time studying and praying. I'm sorry, you're not doing that. You'll get up here and wet yourself in two minutes. Oh, my God. A rattle. Glory to God. Amen. 
And you'll say that the whole service. Be like, okay, all right. We're confused now. But what I'm telling you, I hope this helps your spirit. Because I think there's something to be said about anchoring in to the hope of the Lord. Because when you anchor in, you'll have an ability to stray. All of us do. Man, things won't go well. Storms come. Life comes. Problems come. And you start to stray. But you're anchored because you put God first. You put your hope in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Do you know he is a husband to the widow? He is a father to the orphan. Do you know he is the lamb, the scriptures say, for the sinner that was slain? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That means he'll rip your enemies to shred. Do you know he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords? And he's the God of all hope. Hallelujah. Can we stand together all over the building? I think it's important to know that when you have an anchor, you can be stable. And when drama, trouble comes... You will have what I would call insane faith and insane courage. I saw a video. Don't play it yet, but I want to cue it first. I saw a video the other day, and it just so blessed my heart because I thought about most of us. It's a video that I just think it brings a smile to my face. And I thought about this message, and I said, well, man, if we, if we anchor in to hope, we'll be contagious with our hope. And when bullies come, the bully of fear, the bully of doubt, the bully of unbelief, the bully of sickness, the bully of disease, the bully of resentment, the bully of discouragement, when all these bullies come and Satan comes, now we start to have insane courage. And so I saw this video, and it just brought a smile to my face. It's what I would call 20 seconds of insane courage. Watch it for yourself. It's 20 seconds of insane courage, and you need this. <laughs> and sometimes you need to look at that bull cow or whatever you want to call that thing and say, I'm going to be like a goose, I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm not going to let the enemy come and take what belongs to me. I'm not going to let the enemy come in and steal my joy. I'm not going to let the enemy come and run ramshot over my finances. I'm not going to let the enemy come. I'm going to stand my ground. Even though that enemy may be a thousand pounds heavier, he may be able to squash me like a bug in the natural, but I shall not give in. I shall not give up. I shall have insane courage in the day of battle. I shall have insane courage.